all the leaves are brown and the skies are grey. And we're back for season two of Somewhere to Believe in, the podcast brought to you by Greenbelt Festival. So, hi, Catherine. Hi, Paul. How are you doing? I'm good. Second week into lockdown, halfway there. I've got half a jumper knitted. It's going all right. Hey. Yeah, how is your jumper? Are you pleased with your jumper? Um, I'm pleased that I've got this far with it. Let's say that. Maybe I'll share some pictures of it when it's done so everybody could judge it. I think we need a bit of jumper evidence. Um, and by all means, if you've been knitting in lockdown, dear listeners, please send in your pictures of your jumpers and scarves and whatever it is you've been knitting. We're recording this on Monday the 23rd of November and today's the day when Boris is going to tell us what sort of Christmas we can have. That's nice, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, what what are you hoping that you'll be able to do at Christmas? Are you hoping for something? I, it, secretly, if I'm really honest, and this is going to show my age and the fact I'm a miserable old git, I was thinking it might be quite a relief just to have Christmas at home and not have to go anywhere at all. Yeah, I mean, that sounds really nice for you. I, I guess I'm I'm hoping that I could see other people on Christmas Day. Otherwise, that's a bit sad and lonely. Um, but I'd probably be all right with it. I've got very used to being by myself now. Yeah, I realised that was deeply selfish of me to say <laughs> that. I've got, a, I've got a pre-made, ready, built-in, sort of like oven-ready, to use the phrase, crowd here. But but you're on your own and it's it's not nice being on your own at Christmas, is it? I don't think so, but only because people say that. I've had friends that spend Christmas alone and they cook themselves some nice food, make themselves some nice drinks and spend the day watching lovely Christmas movies. And I think it's only because people say that it's really sad that you kind of maybe start to feel like it's sad. (laughs) Yeah, but who knows? I mean, this year might be the year for us all to discover that there is a different sort of Christmas waiting out there to be experienced. But the news is full of full of talk about vaccines, isn't it? You know, there's vaccines coming out of our ears. Well, that's not the right sort of phrase, is it? But um, seems left, right and centre. Everyone's got a vaccine that's almost ready to go. Dolly Parton's got a vaccine that's almost ready to go. Now, we were very excited in the office, weren't we, to find out that she was the major backer behind um, one of the vaccines coming out of the States. We love Dolly. A million dollars, I think, she's put into it. And the great thing about um, the vaccine that she's backed, who I'm struggling to remember the name. Moderna, I think, or something like that. Yeah. The great thing about that one, as opposed to the Pfizer one, is that it doesn't require being kept at some sort of... It's like minus 70 degrees or something. Yeah. I mean, who's got a fridge like that? But Dolly, she never fails to amaze us. She's just, yeah, she's all heart, that woman. Love her. I knew that Dolly would save us. I've been saying that since the beginning of lockdown. Alongside Patty Smith, do you do you have a dream of, of Dolly Parton headlining Greenbelt, Catherine? <sighs> wow, that would be amazing. I don't think that even if we put all of our programming budget and all of our production budget and probably all of our staff wages into a cash money offer, I still don't think we would be able to afford Dolly Parton. <laughs> In a way, it's good to keep her as this slightly out of reach mystical savior character um you know perhaps if she came it would it would spoil the mystique the dolly mystique i don't know like never meet your idols that's the one i mean i'm worried about you and patty you know because we we do have aspirations to to try and get patty to the field one of these years and i'm just worried Catherine, that when you actually meet her i wouldn't be able to meet her i'm it's weird because i have to meet a lot of people Um, you know, through this rod, which are in the public eye or which I've seen on TV. And normally I'm quite good, but there are a few exceptions where even I've had to say to you, you need to keep me away from this artist because I'm just going to be an absolute idiot. But going back to vaccines, Catherine, now I'm not a scientist. I must stress that. I must stress that. I know people think that I know about everything, but I'm not a scientist. But the vaccine thing is good, isn't it? Like it's good news, isn't it? But for me, all this talk about vaccines, vaccines, yes, we're going to roll them out. Everyone's going to get them, starting with the old and the vulnerable. We've got so many different options and we're going to get vaccines to everyone in the whole world. It almost feels like, I don't know, 
can I be a little bit grumpy? It almost feels like um, playing into this usual thing where we just think that we can fix everything. Oh, yeah, vaccines, that'll be fixed. Bye, bye. And, and then we'll sort of like just move on and forget everything. I don't know. Do you have any of that? I just I'm a bit worried that we think we can sort of like just wave a magic science wand and fix everything and then move on as if nothing's happened. Well, the thing is, Paul, I'm not a scientist either. What? Uh, I know. Uh, But so, you know, I'm somebody that's hard to trust and believe in everything 100% that people are telling me. I like to be able to understand where things are coming from. I like to kind of feel comfortable with the decisions that are being made. And No, I think you're, you're circumspect. Um, you're, you're just a little bit, hmm. I, I, it- there's something that happens to me when somebody starts shoving things down my f- throat that says, this is, the, this is a brilliant thing, this is the best thing. And I think we've talked about it before when people are like, watch this movie, it's brilliant. I kind of take a step back and I'm like, why are you pushing? What's going on? Is it? Yeah. Tell me more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's very, very healthy. I think the thing is, I've been thinking back over all these conversations that we've had this summer, talking with the, our podcast guests, and it feels like we've been learning a whole heap about ourselves, about society. It feels like the pandemic has shone a spotlight on inequality, injustice, just how bad things are. And I guess as well as it being a real huge challenge and it's been huge tragedy and heartache for for millions of people, there is also a form of learning that we've done or that we could have done through the pandemic. And I just feel that all this bombardment of the vaccines are coming, the vaccines are coming, it's all going to be okay. It would be a shame, I guess, to move on and forget the things that the pandemic might have shown us that we need to know for the future. Dominic Cummings has exited. And he left through the front door carrying a cardboard box. How many times have you left a job with a cardboard box in your hand? I don't think I've ever left a job with a a cardboard box in my arms. How about you? Never. I use a backpack. I never walk around with a cardboard box in my hand. If I've got to carry stuff, I use a backpack or a bag. I don't. I think that's. I've only ever seen that on movies. Who has a cardboard box as well? Do the people have a cardboard box underneath their desk, ready? What do you think was in the cardboard box? I don't know. It might have just been a bunch of recycling I don't, or something. I don't. I really don't know. Laptop, coffee cup, pot plant. Maybe our listeners can write in and tell us what they think is in Dominic Cummings' cardboard box. What's in the box? It's a new game. I think we've just coined it. Definitely. We want to hear from you. What was in that box? Anyway, we're getting a little bit silly. And it's probably because this year has been absolutely exhausting uh, mentally and emotionally and physically. We're just really, really tired of this year. We want it to go away. We want it to be Christmas. um, And we want to get on to 2021 and get back to actually living a little bit more. Yeah. Why did I say all that? <laughs> it's just let it out. It's good. To, it's good to talk. But one of the things that has kept us going uh, over this summer and this autumn has been talking to these amazing guests that we've had on the podcast. And today we're going to be talking to Testament from Leeds. Yeah, and Testament is, I mean, I, I like in, in the podcast, he describes himself as a creative of jobsman. And I quite like that. Um, he's a playwright. He's an actor. He's an MC. He's a hip hop artist. He's a writer. Um, all round, really great, creative person for us to be talking to. And obviously, he's been to Greenbelt a couple of times with his theatre shows. We've booked two shows at Greenbelt over the last six years. Um, and so he's a firm festival favourite and it was great chatting to him. Hey, so it's uh, really good uh, to talk to you, Testament. Where, where, are we, uh, where are we speaking to you today? Today I am in a uh, home in West Yorkshire, Calderdale, where I've been for like four or five years. Which is, it's, just a, it's a lovely little quality of life. It's good. Nice. And you'd, we're just about to go. Actually, it's happened now, isn't it? For this, today is the first day of a new lockdown. How's lockdown in Yorkshire for you? Um, yeah, uh, you hear, hear them. You can hear my sigh there. But um, <laughs> it's uh, it's been a really interesting nine months. And obviously, there's different types of lockdown. I've got three children, so 
when they when there was no school that that changes things massively um and but this lockdown there isn't there isn't a school lockdown so um I've been really blessed like um there's been like, I managed to do like a a show um at a, we did a, a, my last show went on at the Leeds Playhouse um and was like commissioned in August and we managed to perform it in through through October um so I actually managed to do like a run of gigs which is crazy given what's going on and then we finish the gigs and then everything gets tier 3 and then lockdown so I'm really really fortunate um the timing has been amazing um so yeah I've, as, as an artist it's like some gigs I've missed out on some gigs turned into workshop stuff and also my career in the last few years has gone um as much writing as performing um and not just writing for myself but writing for actors um or composing for various projects um so I'm really lucky that I've got multiple streams that I can do to make sure you know we can pay for nappies <laughs> can you tell us a little bit about that Orpheus in the record shop which is the show that you mentioned that went yeah. ahead at the playhouse how how was that it looked um you know amazing but how, how was it to perform it to like less than full houses and what did the restrictions how did it affect things well to start at the, the, the very beginning it's a very good place to start apparently um the commission was really last minute so in august uh, Leeds Playhouse and Opera North, um, who commissioned it, uh, were thinking of doing a festival, socially distanced festival, effectively, called Connecting Voices. And they had some original pieces, uh, Samuel Beckett, um, Crap's Last Tape, uh, and uh, La Voix Humaine, which is like a solo opera. And then they wanted to commission not just stuff that's already in the repertoire, in the classic repertoire, but um, something new for us. So they're all solo performances. And I... And they made the mistake of keeping me in the Zoom meeting while um, they were discussing all the different things that they were proposing for the building. They were talking about string quartets being in the in the you know in the, in the entrance area, and maybe we could have a you know a, a, a solo musician performing in the cafe and things like that. And I was like, I heard them say that they had musicians on retainer at Opera North, and I was like, oh really? Um, because. I know you're commissioning me to do a solo show and you're quite interested in the fact that I use technology as a solo performer. But given that your commission, the brief was, can you take us from isolation to community in some way? How about, uh, as my piece goes on, it starts off as a solo show, we just keep adding musicians. And by the time we get to the end of the show, there's 10 people. And um, yeah, like when would I ever get an opportunity to do that? So again, like the silver lining... Um, in the midst of all the, the the craziness and the weirdness and the tragedy, um, which we've been affected and I've been definitely affected by emotionally and and, and socially and relationships and stuff, um, like something good, some some little something good came and um, we were able to create something really beautiful, sort of composing for that for the for this really weird ensemble of classical musicians and the story. As, as as I mentioned, is is using the Orpheus myth as a sort of a spine to sort of remixing the myth to take us from yeah, isolation and division and a feeling of society being um, far away and judging other people and judging even judging oneself to eventually embracing and accepting where we're at and accepting other people. Um, so that's the arc of the the play and that sort of finding that something greater. I mean, as a Christian, like, <laughs> it's very it's very close to me, uh, like, the idea that something greater unites us and there's a force, if you like, um, that, that we can, that, that wants us to love each other and connect with each other. And, and that's, that's essentially what the piece is about. Testament, you strike me as an incredibly creative and intelligent uh, person, somebody that I am actually really jealous of, the the amount of creativity that you have, because you're a poet, rapper, playwright, actor. How how did you first begin these creative pursuits? How how did do you have um did somebody bring you up in in and surround you by culture like that? Um 
Uh, kind of, not really. Um, I guess I'm the youngest child, so that brings its, you know, I'm the extrovert, annoying kid that annoys his big brother when he's trying to get on with, you know, I'm the kid who, like, gets excited and breaks his big brother's Lego, basically. Um, and stabs him with a compass once by accident, fell on him with it. I was holding a little compass and stabbed him in his hand. Sorry, Chris. Love my big brother. Big good brothers. that you said sorry now. And, yeah, it's only, it's only taken 26 years. Um, um, yeah, that, was, that was an intense holiday. But yeah, in terms of creativity, like, um, yeah, my big brother would, does, does his own comics, and which I used to love. And uh, it was his taste in music, which filtered through the walls from his bedroom into mine um, in our little house in Manchester, which is where I spent most of my childhood. Um, so yeah, nicking his cassettes and, uh, and, you know, listening to them that had a massive influence on me. So hip hop is probably one of the primary things. So like a mix of showing off and trying to show off in front of my friends and like hip hop, my dad's an English teacher that massively helped. Um, yeah, I was brought up on Simon and Garfunkel and the Beatles. And then, so my brother started to introduce me to De La Soul and the Pet Shop Boys. Because Pet Shop Boys are cool, <laughs> but like you wouldn't think, like, oh, your rapper, like, grew up listening to, like, you know, um, Go West, you know, listening to that. <laughs> um, um, yeah, so it's a whole mix of different um, things, but like, essentially, I guess it comes from hip hop and uh, a love of stories through English and stuff. My mum's Ghanaian, um, so, you know, the soundtrack in the front room is mostly Beatles and Simon and Garfunkel, but also Osibisa, um, West African group, um, with the amazing artwork on their covers of, like, these sort of gothic, sort of spooky elephants flying through the through the sort of mar- African marshland and stuff, you know, stuff that really captures your imagination as a kid. Um, church, so I was brought up as a C of E, kid which I thought was really boring and then I sort of went away from that and then and then about age 14 my act of rebellion was to try and out Christian my parents so um uh so I I became I sort of came a born again charismatic fundamentalist I'd say and sort of was uh, definitely trying to out Christian everyone um and uh so that took me on a on a massive journey as well so um, that's, I haven't answered your question at all, Catherine. I'm totally apologise for that. You kind of have, actually, and it really makes sense. When you look at the kind of work you do, all those mixtures and influences, you, you can see how you, you create the work that you do. It is, it, I have a really quirky, weird skill set. I was thinking about Orpheus, because the commission was so last minute. I was like, all right. I haven't got time to go and do years of research like I did for another play or like to go a deep dive into the history of blah, blah, or whatever, um, which stuff I'm you know, really interested in and I love doing that. So I'm going to have to write what I know just really quickly. So, yeah, it's going to be set in Leeds. I mean, it was a Leeds Playhouse anyway. I know Leeds really well. It's going to be based around music. I know, you know, I'm a music geek. Um, so I did have to do research, actually, I'd, Luckily, I've got friends that run record shops, so I had loads of like intense Zoom and phone conversations with people who run record shops um, to make sure I was that texture of that world was represented fairly. And then I was like, okay, I can compose, right? I'll compose, right? I'm really, I've got eclectic taste, okay? The record shop's got all these different genres, so the songs will reflect the different genres, and okay, um, I can beatbox, right? I'll use that. I can do spoken word, right? Okay, I'll use that. Um, so it's just a weird. I'm 42 now, and I just my life experience is it really, it really mad. So, you know, four years singing in like a wedding band, it's a really high function, a high end sort of function band actually, which means like I'm the worst singer in it. So as a rapper joining that band, like, and all the other singers sing for people like John Legend and um, Massive, you know, and I have to wear like a silver suit and rap songs that I would never really listen to and have to learn and stuff like that. Um, and learn like rock songs and pop songs basically and learn how to do backing vocals I spent like four or five years like with singers that are way better than me um some who teach some one of them actually teaches you know top 40 artists you know that singing coach so I'm I'm getting to spend time in you know um where was the random one Florence singing at somebody's wedding in Florence um 
with um, an amazing singing coach and we've got hours to spend and I'm like what's the best warm-up you know <laughs> um how do I how do I sort of extend my range a little bit um and then like years before and then while I'm doing that like I'm sporadically doing one of those once a month I am in a beatbox orchestra at the South Bank um in London with Shlomo where my beatboxing skills which is um I'm sort of self-taught beatboxer I'm now s- surrounded by eight beatboxers, in fact, not just beatboxers, jazz vocalists, opera singers, um, Mary King, one of the top vocal experts in the world, um, collaborating, you know, doing a gig with Jarvis Cocker um, and Imogen Heap or whoever, um, one of the sugar babes for like a charity gig for the South Bank and, and just all making all these connections and, and getting paid to like sit in a room in the Royal Festival Hall and and like improve my beatboxing for two weeks um uh and i'm sort of like you know the seventh beatboxer out of eight so i'm the, I'm the one on the far left who does the hi-hat sound you know <laughs> um but i'm just being surrounded by all these these amazing things and having these experiences seeing how shlomo composes as a beatboxer and as an orchestrator as well um because i'm self-taught i've got a really um idiosyncratic beatbox vocabulary so in terms of the vocabulary of sounds that you can use as a beatboxer um each beatboxer tends to have their own set there's a lot that crossover so a lot of beatboxers uh, use the b and p sound for beatboxing like this that is like a an exaggerated b and p beatbox um so that's an exaggerated BMP sound, which most beatboxers have. But because I was self-taught from 11, messing around in Manchester, I've got a really exaggerated D sound as well. So my signature sound is all... Which is cool, because you can also do it um, with your mouth closed. So that was me, like, going from closed to open mouth. Um, so when the beatbox academy, like, oh, come in, because Testament's got that D sound, which he can teach the kids, and da 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 I'm doing, like, travelling down on the, on the National Express to go teach at um, the Beatbox Academy in Battersea, and um, and then I start having ideas for theatre shows, and I'm in the beat, in great place for new work in the great theatre, and I'm saying, hey, talking to the producer, hey, Liz Morton, like, what's it, how do you start your own theatre show? Like that's how how would you how would one go about doing that? And they go, oh, what well, you need to do is this and this and this. Hey, you should write something, and um, we'll help you. You know, write your first piece of A4, which you can take to different theatres. And and then while I'm doing that, I'm in schools teaching rap. Uh, yeah, I'm basically I'm a, I'm a I'm an odd job man. Is what I am. I'm a I'm a creative odd job man. So when it comes to Orpheus and the Record Shop last August, um, and the Open Orf. Leeds Playhouse give me a call like I'm like oh yeah you've chosen the person who's had just the right life experiences to write such a random piece of work (laughs) so there we go fascinating sort of hearing all those wide-ranging threads that um make you who you are and then result in the work that you end up getting caught up in um do you want to to hear one of the most random ones yes (laughs) okay so um you may know MC stands for Master of Ceremonies um and obviously these days in 2020 when you say MC you're thinking about rappers first and foremost unless you're at like some really posh wedding or at the you know, whatever garden party somewhere at some palace um and uh so yeah there's the sort of so there's a generational split because now people won't say MC they'll say host or compare won't they oh we need someone to host this we need some- so um the somebody gets a phone call in an office in, in at Leeds Playhouse or West Yorkshire Playhouse as was some uh, someone at reception picks up the call and uh, they're like, "Hi, there's an education event in Bradford, and we need an MC for an education event in Bradford." Um, and uh, the person who answered the phone at the playhouse was like, "Oh, MC, what rappers do we know? Hmm, what rappers do we know?" So she calls her son. Her son's a wicked um, rock singer. Um, called Chris James, he sings in the band called Stateless, incredible. Um, and Chris knows Chris knows me, so Chris is like, oh, you should get Testament. Um, so I get this, end up getting a phone call from someone running a Brad, uh, an education event in Bradford. I'm like, hi, okay, um, I'm on the train with bad reception, and I'm talking to this lady called Sally Mill, um, and um, so I was talking to Sally, and Sally's like really posh lady from 
really fiercely intelligent, compassionate, wise woman from from London. Oh, hello, da 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 da. Or Southern, anyway. Really posh voice. I'm looking for an MC for an education event. Okay, yeah, what do you want? A rap workshop? Or drop me to the performance? She's like, no, 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 I just need you to compare. I'm like, oh, oh, that's easy, fine. At that point, I've been comparing hip-hop nights in um, around the north of England for, like, three years um, and do loads of workshops anyway. So, like, talking to a group of young people, definitely within my wheelhouse. Um, so I'm like, yeah, fine. And she says, yeah, it's a peace conference, a kids' peace conference. I'm like, okay, that's really interesting. Fine. So I, I rock up um, at Bradford University and there's, like, hundreds of school kids from all over the country. And... Um, and uh, and the organizer of this massive charity, one of the organi- oh, both the organizers of this international charity called Peace Jam, and Peace Jam is a charity that gets Nobel Peace Prize winners to speak to kids for a weekend or for a period of time. So I turn up there, and then um, Nobel Peace Prize winner Mairead Corrigan Maguire kind of floats in, says these amazing things. Um, she like won the Nobel Peace Prize with Betty Williams for work in Northern Ireland in the seventies. She says this thing about compassion tells a story about losing a sister and uh, this really amazing, powerful story and how when Mairead's sister died, she marched into the local television station and demanded to be on TV and then gave this massive plea for peace and started this, the peace people. And all these families started putting pressure on these guys who were getting involved in, in violence. And anyway, they won the peace prize. And then because I've come from hip-hop and I'm sort of really bouncy I guess especially with kids and getting them to make noise and got my little tricks that I do with crowds etc they're like hey we've got the anniversary of Peace Jam coming up um if you want we'll, we'd love you to be one of the one of our MCs uh, compares in uh, our our whatever 10 year anniversary in America I'm like okay cool um thinking yeah right that's not gonna happen sure enough a month later they're like what's your passport so the following year um, I get flown to Denver, Colorado, and I'm stood in a stadium beatboxing in front of the Dalai Lama and Desmond Tutu. And that was all because of a, mis- a misunderstanding of what MC meant. Um, <laughs> yeah, and it was it was kind of cool because, like, if, if there's any technological problems in the middle of a conference, they can go, Testament, can you beatbox for 30 seconds now, please? <laughs> Keep the crowd entertained when the, uh, now the, now the projector's broken, you know. Um, so, Creative like, old job, man. <laughs> it, that's exactly what I am. Um, yeah. Jack of all trades, master of ceremonies. <laughs> <laughs> That's incredible. What did you say to um, uh, Desmond Tutu when you met him? I just told him actually about the apartheid struggle and how as a mixed race kid and having parents that were very conscious of what was happening in, in South Africa, like how much he meant. And as a Christian, you know, to have someone, um, a Christian who isn't a psycho in the news is great. A Christian who is definitely like a peacemaker and who isn't, um, yeah, like part, who's definitely part of the solution and not part of the problem because as we know, faith is used as a huge weapon to hit people over the head with. So, um, one that actually releases people and connects people and looks for the best in people and, is 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 just massively encouraging can i just quickly delve back into that thing where you said that you know desmond tutu was one of those christians who was in the news and he wasn't a psycho and earlier on you said that that you went through that teenage period where you tried to out christian your parents (laughs) and try to try to pretty much out christian everyone else how did that how did that work through for you and i I was very well-meaning um in my trying attempt to out christian everyone because I was trying to do the right thing and trying to live a, a good life and try and be better as a as a person, um, but dogma um, and very black and white sort of thinking, um, and then sort of as life continued on, I guess like my faith journey. God, I sound like on songs of praise, don't I? Um, <laughs> Pretend I'm Kate Botley, and it will be exactly. all right. Yeah. I have done songs of praise as well. You know what? I was I was teaching um, some young offenders, and I'd done the songs of praise on. Um, they'd come and interviewed me or something because it was all about Leeds Carnival. Not that I'm anything to do with that, but they were just sort of celebrating Leeds, and um, and that's where I've spent a lot of, most of my life now. Um, the um, and I went back in, and, the, and this really hard nut was like, "Yo, your testament, yeah? Were you on songs of praises?" <laughs> <laughs> I was like. 
yeah, yeah, bro. Like, yeah. And he was like, yeah, it was good. Yeah, it's cool. It's all right. Yeah. It's like, okay. <laughs> songs of praises. I just loved it. Well, you want songs of praises? <laughs> I, was like, I couldn't imagine him sitting down there. He just, yeah, it leads nicely into Antiques Roadshow. <laughs> I could, it's just funny. Didn't say that. I wish he did. But he was like one of the top, he's the kind of guy who'd like walk down the street and knock someone out. Um, yeah, if he was having a bad day. But he's, he sorted himself out, which is great. Anyway, tangent, Faith. Um, so yeah, so like I basically spent um, the last 20 years of my life trying to unpick the dogma out of my faith and thinking actually what is Jesus and what is me, what is human sticking the oar in, what is compassionate, what is love, the greatest of these is love. Um, so like, yeah, and then just trying to, trying to do that really um so yeah i don't know yeah so i'm on so the 16 year old me would look at the 42 year old testament and go yo you're a heretic son you know um but actually i think it's actually closer to the heart of heart of what um love and what god is about and and what jesus is represents you know and and, and i think what jesus when I think about who Jesus got upset with, it was the people hitting over people hit people hitting over their head with dogma. Like he would, in, there's the only people he actually insulted, calling them snakes and all this kind of stuff, and hypocrites, right? Um, so yeah, I'm trying to, I'm trying to go on that journey and and to let love be the, the thing, and and also like, sounds all quite Buddhisty, but like, um, to give stuff to God really, because um, like, stuff is stressful. <laughs> and I can't carry these burdens, so um, yeah. Oh, you only believe in God because you're weak, I'm like, Yeah, that's true. Um, 100 percent true. And um, so I'll just leave, give all my sort of uh, my troubles over to God, and I might be able to get through another day. Your um, your theatre work. Obviously, we've we've booked you a couple of times to bring a shows to Green Belt, which were amazing. The audiences loved them. You've got great audiences as well. Uh, can You're... I say Greenbelt is the bomb? Like, yes. it's the one. <laughs> like, my, my first theatre show, like, I'd done a run at Edinburgh for 28 days in the row, and, like, at Edinburgh Festival, for all the performers who know, you're like, that's mega stressful because it's not only... Because it's like a shop window for new shows. So, like, all the venues, all the newspapers will sit there with a pad and pen, um, and they'll be, like, very critical. And then hitting Greenbelt at the end, when... People's hearts are really like for they want to have their hair to to hearts are open. People are there to experience things. People are there to be challenged, um, and they're just there for they're there in the moment. Um, it was like ah, uh, it was like medicine um, compared like perform, performing in Edinburgh with like literally someone in the front row with a pad and pen shaking their head while you're midway through a monologue to um, uh, to like just a sensation that we're all together and that everyone's we're all in the moment at that moment that was electric sorry Catherine there you go so thank you Greenbelt thank you thank you Greenbelt thank you it's weird we have a we have a lot of um I think a lot of theatre artists especially are always a bit wary about coming and performing in a festival site because it just has like extra elements that make it a bit difficult but everybody that's performed at Greenbelt just raves about the audience and, and about the reception that they get so it's nice to hear that from you too yeah your your work um knowing about your faith and I guess your interest in social justice it makes sense your work is there to entertain people but it also seems like you're challenging people as well and educating people is that something that's really important for you to do through your creative pursuits well remember what I said about ego and um what's the point in showing off in front of your friends um what is the point like why give yourself a pat on the back what does that lead to not that much really actually normally like a spiral after that because you get off stage on a high and and then where do you go after that you know um if that's what you're living for but actually if you've got whatever gift it is actually whether it's maths or you know medicine or whatever or just encouragement it's like well what are you using it what have you got in your hand and what can you use to make the world a bit better so for me it's like this random thing of beatboxing poetry composition whatever 
um, the, the creative things that I mess around with. So that's what I'm good at. So what, how am I going to use that? Um, because the world's kind of effed up. Um, so um, like, let's 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 uneff it to quote Bubba Israel. Um, a great, great hip-hop theatre practitioner. And the shows generally are an excuse for me to go learn about something. Because, um, um, yeah, so like, the, each show that I do, um, I'm trying to uh, teach, teach, I'm provoking myself. And, I'm, and through me going, I've got something to learn and sharing my brokenness or my weak bit, my weak spots. Um hopefully that allows people to look at to reflect on on where they're at i always feel like most of my stuff is about being in a really dark time and rays of light coming through and like seeing there is like light at the end of the tunnel and it isn't a train coming the other way it's actually like freedom it's actually peace it's actually restoration it's um so like generally most of the stuff that i write comes from a place of like feeling a bit battered and and someone giving you a cup of tea, hopefully. That's what I'm trying to do. And one of the the threads that seems to be increasingly emerging through your work is this um, bringing together of what you might think of sort of more classical forms and older forms of language, of art, of literature, of expression, and bringing that right, right smack bang into the heart of contemporary life now with all of its diversity and its complexity and often perhaps it's much more urban settings and uh, you know you were recently featured by Simon Sharma in in uh, the Romantics and Us and talking about your Blake remix and I was really struck with how you drew those links between what Blake was writing about and describing in his London and you're saying hasn't changed much has it and is, is that one of your conscious threads that you're trying to bring mine back into this classical stuff and, and bring it up to date in a way? Like, I think any time you get up and you're talking about something, it's like, well, how's it relevant to now? Like, let's not just sit around and pat each other on the back and go, oh, wasn't it clever that I understood this poem? Or uh, isn't it great that now I know what the French Revolution's about? Um, or if you're going to talk about French Revolution, that's great, but, like, what's the lesson? Like, how am I going to use it to... to to, to affect my community now because right now actually we're in a crisis there's someone in crisis right now whether it's the food bank it's half a mile away from where I am or um, you know the American political system like how, how are we going to move the, the chess piece like what's it doing um, so you know whether it's like oh here's a story about a guy in a record shop um, to um, black British history going back to you know, like Septimius Severus, you know, whatever, 197 AD, um, you know, what, what was it saying? Um, but how can I, how can I say what I want to say? What can I use to do it? And Blake is amazing. A bit, you know, it's almost like scripture. Some of it is almost, is scriptural, but, um, and Blake is so dense. Like my, what Blake meant to me when I was, got into Blake at 15, 16, I thought he was a fundamentalist like me. And then as I sort of got older, I was like, oh, hang on. This is a bit more mystical than I thought. Okay, right. Oh, I don't agree. Well, I'm not sure if I agree with that. You know, and it became, I went on a journey with, like with any text, you know. I think as artists, it's always got to be about like, it needs to, either, it needs to, it needs to be prophetic. Like, what are we prophetic in? Not not just in like the mystic Meg sense, but in the sense of like, what directionally are we going as a people? Where are we going? You know, prophets lead the way and stuff. In them, not that I'm a prophet, but like you're trying to tap into something of that, um, which can speak to people. And 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 the arts have always been prophetic. Whether it's like watching um, what's that show Glee? Do you remember Glee? So you know the way Glee discussed sexuality. It's like that's prophetic. Um, you know, you're breaking down doors for a whole generation in terms of like acceptance using really bad versions of Rush songs. But, um, you know, it's still like, you know, it's God using the donkey again, isn't it? You know, so um, it's speaking into situations, speaking into where directionally, where are we going to go as, as a society, as a people? And if Glee can do it, well, then hopefully we, we all can. If Glee can do it. Glee's the, Glee's the real hip hop. Everyone knows that. There's a theme emerging, isn't there? Glee, Pet Shop Boys. Have you got any other sort of like guilty 
guilty pleasures. <laughs> um, well, I don't know if it's guilty, but like for the project that I'm working at the moment, I just had to listen to loads of Heart. Are you familiar with the the rock band Heart? Yeah, female rock band. Yeah, um, female led certainly. Um, yeah, and to um, so yeah, never ever heard them before. But like um, Magic Man is my jam at the moment. Um, by by Heart. Um, Can I talk a little bit about your show Woke? Yeah, definitely. So uh, what was your inspiration about creating that show? Because that woke word is it's kind of a buzzword, isn't it? And an insult, I guess. People have been using it as an insult over the last few years, which is bizarre. Depends. Yeah, it depends who, depends who you are, isn't it? Um, mm. And what context. Um, yeah, yeah. Political correctness can be an insult, can't it? Yeah. Um, <laughs> social justice. Um, social justice warrior can definitely be an insult. In, 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 you know, like fighting for social justice is a bad thing. Interesting. Um, virtue signaling wow signaling virtue interesting but um these are all like things we're, we're wrestling with but woke um the title was actually given to me by a producer um because i was like i wasn't sure what to call it and jilly um who now works at the guildford school of um music and drama and whatnot um she was like i was in the middle of script writing sat in a cafe and she was there and she said hey you should call it woke what about woke i was like yeah that's the one. Um, so, yeah, the inspiration for that was kind of frustration with myself, really, initially. Um, I was sat with my little daughter on my lap, and I started to think about, because um, I sort of am a Guardian reader and I call myself a feminist, but, like, well, that's good. Well, that really has changed the world, hasn't it? Um, no, it hasn't. You've done nothing. You've done nothing, Testament. Come on, wake up. Um, so, uh, yeah, it was like, well, why... Why, what have I done at all about about gender? Um, why have I written loads about race and about political systems and about, um, you know, economics even? I've written more about economics than I have about, about, about feminism. What's going on? Um, and I'm crap at maths. So, um, uh, so I, I was really thought to myself, you know, like, I got really mad and was like, wow, you, that's, like, that's half the world. You're like... You've just like you're, talk, you're trying to share life with through your lyrics or your shows or whatever, but you're not actually really done anything. And as a man, and just like with race, I know like it's not enough just not to be racist because the tide and the sort of bubbling nature of hatred uh, which we're currently going through is always going to be you know it's always going to come back around or seep, trying to seep in somewhere. So like you've got to be actively anti-racist. Um, and I was like, well. There's a parallel there with with sexism and misogyny, um, and then I got mad. Was like with myself because I'm like, why is it? Ha- why is it having this little girl on my lap is the thing that's making me think that? Why haven't? Not- what happened to the other thirty years there, son? You know, if you just thought you're a nice guy, it's like that's cool. But like, yeah. So then I started started going on that journey and started talking to uh, sort of feminist academics, but also just. Even talking to my wife, saying, "Oh yeah, what's your been your experiences with all kinds of things?" So like, um, you know, how people have talked to you and hearing stories that made me really shake my head in disbelief. When I think about my female friends that I've had over the years, I've had I've had quite a lot of really good close female friends, and I'm thinking about oh, ten of them have got about rape have told me about their rape experience, like. That's peak. Um, that's horrific. Male friends won um, in that time. And thankfully, actually, um, he managed to fight them off and escape. But um, but the girls that I'm thinking about, like, no, it was, you know, it was horrific. Um, and that's, 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 that's like, and then that, and that's not even counting other types of sexual assault. Um, so I was just, like, really conscious of, like, um, uh, the sort of mentality um, which is still there um, the objectification mentality so that was bubbling around in the back of my head at the same time as being angry with myself for my own apathy and my own misogyny actually that I recognise within myself um, so I was very angry with myself for that and then um, this is 2016 so then Brexit happened and then Trump happened 
Um, and uh, Trump, as we all like to know, likes to uh, stand in the Access Hollywood, you know, and, and talk about his sexual prowess and how he tries to have affairs and basically sounds like sexual assault to me. So those are the things. So, like, from my individual anger to my anger about what's happening in my city and in the country um, to the international sort of symbol symbols of that, I was like... Men, what are you doing? What are you doing? Um, how are we changing this? Um, so that was the inspiration for Woke. <laughs> there you go. Um, and of course, when I'm doing interviews for researching for the play, like I'm just realising that, um, gosh, sexual assault is often wallpaper for so many women. It's like, have you been sexually assaulted? Oh, no, 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 no. What about, has anyone ever grabbed you inappropriately in the club? Oh, yeah, that's happened loads of times. Oh, right. And it's just wallpaper. Or even like, um, okay, club night's ended. How are you going to get home? Uh, Testament's like, I'm going to walk. Somewhere and a half. It's two in the morning. I'll just walk home. Or just me and my mate might walk home. Just two, two, two people. Women are like, I'm on the Uber. I'm getting an Uber. And I really hope the Uber driver's nice. Um, and I'll make sure I've got my phone at hand in case the Uber driver um, tries to proposition me. Yeah, my keys um, in my knuckles. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all, all that keys and knuckles, so like, all stuff which um, is like wallpaper for women, but men have never thought about. Um, I mean, like with woke, like I really wanted to challenge people, but with a hug. So hopefully, when you see woke, you know the fiercest, sexist, bigoted person still feels um, convicted rather than condemned. To use my old um, evangelical type phrases, you know, convicted of like, okay, we need to change something. Okay, rather than like, I'm never gonna change. Um, I'm a bad person. So that that was the aim. You recently did a, an interview with Leroy Logan, who uh, oh, great, Steve McQueen yeah. is just about to um, it's just about to air, I think, on the BBC the the, the TV uh, drama that Steve McQueen's mm. written about him as the the black police officer serving in the London Met and his his life experience, and you know that that that's coincided. Uh, your interview with him and the, the show coming out has coincided with a summer which has seen the re-emergence of Black Lives Matter as a as a movement, an urgent movement across the world out of the George, George Floyd murder. Um, and it, how how's all that been for you? Uh, because I know that race has been racial justice has been something that you've reflected a lot in your work over the years. How has this summer felt around all that? It's been horrific. It's been horrific. Um, yeah, I'm sick of watching murders on little screens, real life snuff videos. Um, yeah, it's just been really tiring, and um, certain things I'm not surprised by. Um, I like, I'm like, this is why I do what I do. This is why we do what we do. Is you know, whether you're working for a charity, whether you're running a festival, which hopefully brings peace to the world, you know, and puts messages of love out, like Greenbot does. Everyone's got their little part to play. Um, so I'm not surprised. That's why we do what we do. But what did surprise me was on Facebook the people that were friends and acquaintances of mine who got really defensive um, uh, about. Um, about the need to need for change, and they f- so I'm thinking mostly white friends, uh, not all, but um, some black friends as well, who were like, no, 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 no. The problem isn't racism. The problem is, um, you know, it's just because they're criminals. I oh, know he was running away from the police. He shouldn't have run away from a police officer. So if you run away from a police officer, you know, you, you, you know, it's not surprised you're going to get shot if you run away. It's like what? Um, running away, you know, when you're when you're not armed, um, is not a reason to be shot. And then over here, you know, um, in this sort of the all lives matter stuff, um, I was at school. I was teaching at school two weeks ago, and some of the you know some of the kids were saying um, all lives matter, or one of the kids was like, "Aren't immigrants illegal?" Said this fifteen-year-old kid to me. I'm like, "Well, you're 15. Um no, immigrants aren't illegal. Immigrants are my mum. So, yeah, it just felt really tiring and disappointing when a variety of people, some people of faith, some people from the hip-hop scene, 
were had internalized that racism and rather than be willing to listen or to be vulnerable like the barriers and the walls immediately came up um and of course with every movement it's not going to be perfect black lives matter is not a perfect movement um me too is not necessarily perfect um but really really needed and we really need to listen um cultures need to change Thank you. I feel like that's um, a really wonderful place to end this conversation on. Um, But thank you so much for giving us your time and for talking to us about your work. And hopefully we'll be able to get you back into a Greenbelt field sometime in the future. Oh, it'd be so lovely. (laughs) Be be so, so lovely. Um, Yeah, anytime. We're literally like, I want to take all my shows to Greenbelt if possible. So I'll I'll be badgering you. (laughs) Badger away. Yeah, you won't need to badger too hard. That's great, and we'd love you to bring your family as well. Come for the, you know, if they could come for the weekend and the, hang we, out. We, you, know, you know, you don't know this, um, Paul, but like literally this year, we were like, I was like, this is the year I'm going to take the whole family to Greenbelt, um, and we were super excited. Like last year, we did our first family festival. We went to a jazz festival called We Out Here Festival, and we managed to survive. And I was like, imagine if we went, and that was quite family friendly, but like Greenbelt is like super, like you know, every everybody's got like you know this got such a great vibe and I was like yeah this is the year um yeah because it's like it's got something for everyone you know like yeah I, I just really really it sounds like an advert now doesn't it but um <laughs> <laughs> we just need, we need the blue screen and the credit card to come up but um <laughs> yeah but um yeah I was this, this was the year I was like yeah let's 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 take and maybe another family as well because you know when you go to a festival with another family it's so much easier isn't it yeah you got instant playmates and all that so um so next year, hopefully. Yeah. Come on. You would have loved that. this year's lineup as well. We couldn't announce it, but you would have loved it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You, have to, you have to, like, email me who it was. <laughs> yeah, in secret. Yeah, thank you for being so open and honest and generous with your time with us today. It's been brilliant. Thanks so much. So that was Testament. What a great artist. Great artist. So wide-ranging in his work and his interests. He strikes me as one of those people that just says yes. You know, things happen when you do things. And I really like that about him. And I think it shows how important it is to have access to different types of arts and people working in the arts and genres because every time he's in one of those situations he learns new skills that really um impressed me that he seems up for a challenge oh there's an opportunity uh there's an opportunity for a commission there's a gap here and that's how he ended up doing his latest piece at the leeds playhouse you know at such short notice orpheus in the record shop because he was yeah yeah okay i could do that i could do that I like that um, that openness to have a go. Uh, when I was in a band back in the nineties, I had some really good friends who were in a band, and they were f- they had a record deal, and they were forever waiting for just exactly the right tour support, just exactly the right sort of producer to work with, and it it felt to me, and they might be listening to this, so I had to be a bit careful. <laughs> felt to me like they were always waiting for the perfect opportunity. And actually, they didn't end up doing as much as they could have done. They were fantastic, but they ended up always waiting for the right opportunity. Whereas Testament felt to me like the opposite. Mm. And it's interesting because I just watched a panel last week with Martin Atkins, who's a brilliant musician, played with bands like Nine Inch Nails. And I think you've met him as well. And we've had him at the festival, obviously, the digital festival. Yeah, fantastic. And he was kind of saying... Yeah, don't wait. Do. Try it. Especially, you know, under the guise of like a COVID society. Like there's, you know, there's a lot of people that might think, oh, let's wait. Let's wait till this, you know, we come out of this. But I I love that attitude of no, give it a try. Fail. Ask questions. Keep going. I like the way too that he seems to bring all the threads of who he is, his upbringing, his brother's music, his mum's West African music, his dad's English, 
uh, teaching and his love of literature, he brings all those. He doesn't think, oh, what is it that I can be? How, how could I sort of set myself up to be this character that cuts through? Instead, he, he just digs into who he is already and puts it out there. And I, I like that approach too. It's very honest. You know, I think that there's something that we're kind of taught in society where you have to be confident and you have to like dress for the job you want and you come in and you kind of maybe put your skills above what they are in order to like fake it until you make it and then there's some artists that we love booking for Greenbelt and those are the artists that we try and book for Greenbelt that are just being and that are taking their truth and they're finding ways of putting it on stage or through their music and sometimes it's ugly and sometimes it's not flattering but it is truthful and we connect with that those are the times when we we grow and we develop and we learn is where we can share those moments of oh yeah yeah i struggle with that too um uh, that's not very comfortable but that's true what i've just seen what i've experienced it, it it hits me deep it resonates and those are the times when i think we we learn about life and love more deeply And what did you think about that bit where he describes his sort of faith journey, brought up as a C of E kid, found that really boring, and then suddenly fell for and, and was converted, born again, if you like, into a much more charismatic evangelical background. And he, he describes himself as trying to out-Christian his parents, which is a really unusual thing for a teenager to, to do, I guess. Yeah, that was his rebellious stage, I think he said. <laughs> what do you think people see within christian tradition religion that can make them lean into a more fundamental take undertaking of it uh, i think uh, certainty is a it can be have a real appeal particularly when the world is quite complicated and difficult and hurts us i think certainty is very seductive and i think that certain forms of religion of all flavors of all a different of the major religious traditions you get the branches of those religions that present a very very black and white view of things this is how it is and i think that that can have an appeal particularly if you've got a lot going on and yeah you feel quite overwrought there's a real comfort in uncertainty i think that has a massive appeal i mean you kind of see it now with the divide and the the way that people are going into being identifying as like extreme right or extreme left. You know, when there are times of uncertainty, what people want is things that they can simply understand and that things are the right way. You know, that's there's comfort in that. This is right. I don't know what's going on in the world, but I do know that A plus B equals C. I mean, I think even at the top of the podcast, Catherine, you were saying all this talk of vaccines you're a little bit sceptical because it somehow feels almost a little bit too certain. And you're the sort of character who just steps back from that certainty, aren't you? Yeah, because it's not realistic. Like, I feel like I would prefer somebody to be like, we've got this vaccine. Who knows what's going to happen in the cup? Like, you know, I'd, you know, I would just prefer somebody to give me the open and honest truth, something that I can understand rather than telling me that this with 100% certainty is going to be the greatest thing in the world because that's not life that's not that's not the life that I know yeah I think that life is is messy and uh, afraid around the edges it's not very easily packaged I like that the way that testament said that his life since those teenage rebellious years of out christianing his parents has been like a, a gradual process of unpicking that dogma and getting to a point where he's comfortable with what he regards as the central tenets of his belief around love, inclusion, acceptance, vulnerability, uh, all those sorts of things. Did you like that story where he, he talks about um, getting that opportunity to MC at a, a youth peacemaker conference that then eventually takes him to the states and he ends up performing in front of desmond tutu and the dalai lama incredible i would love that yeah i mean what an incredible experience um that you know but that's that seems like the guy that testament is like takes an opportunity keeps running with it and things happen 
And I like when he said, I don't know if he actually said these words, but when we asked him, you know, what did you say to Desmond Tutu? And he said, you know, just, I was just chatting with him about how incredible, what a part he played in the, in the struggle against apartheid. And um, the fact that it was just wonderful to have a Christian guy out there who wasn't a psycho <laughs> and was a peacemaker. <laughs> It's, I mean, that seems so simple, doesn't it? Like, but yeah, it's it's kind of shocking that that's um, not the norm right now. What about Glee? Tell me about Glee, Catherine. Because I know can nothing I make a... about Glee. <laughs> I know nothing about Glee. I've never seen Glee. I have heard of Glee. I knew the only thing I know about Glee is that one of my favourite songs used to be um, "Journeys Don't Stop Believing," and then Glee did it, and it ruined it for me. And so I've been, I've had problems with Glee ever since, and you know I don't know how I can resolve that. Well, perhaps some listeners out there can tell us, you know, about Glee. But uh, Catherine and I are a little bit ignorant. But clearly, for Testament, important. I mean, he even jokingly described Glee as the real hip hop. <laughs> well, I think what he was kind of. I mean, from my understanding of it, he was talking about how Glee is like a big cultural phenomenon. And so when they're choosing to do stories or storylines of things like sexual identity, then it's a big thing. It's a massive thing because it's done on such a big scale and it kind of starts to bring those things into mainstream conversation and normalise them, which is really important. Yeah, perhaps this Christmas box sets of Glee, we need to just catch up, see what it's all about. No, I'm not over it. <laughs> I've, I don't know if I'm wrong here, Catherine. I mean, how can I cast judgment on something I've never, ever seen? But for, for me, I always put Glee in the box that I have in my life, which is musicals, which I, don't, I very rarely open. <laughs> yeah, I know that some of our staff team have forced you to open musicals before. Yeah, it's a journey I'm on, Catherine. It's a very slow journey. I recorded The Greatest Showman because it was on TV the other day and I tried to watch it. I couldn't, I couldn't do it. Just can't do it. That's all right, Paul. It's Is all it right. okay? Yeah, it's fine. Oh, thanks, Catherine. <laughs> thanks. It was lovely what he said about Greenbelt, wasn't it? It just, he just dropped it in. What did he describe Greenbelt as? He said that, especially after performing in Edinburgh, it was just so great to perform in, in, in an audience that they were so open and smiley and accepting and lovely. And people always say that about our audience in our playhouse. I mean, it's so useful for me when I have to invite people. One of my selling points to artists is you're going to love our audience. It's so wonderful to be able to work on a festival where we know that the work that we bring and the artists that we bring will have such a fantastic reception with people who are engaged, listening, committed to it and just overwhelmed and, and in love with, with, with the experience. It's, it's, pr it's a privilege, really. Yeah, makes our job so much easier. <laughs> it does. But Testament said Greenbelt is the bomb. And I, I like that. I like oh, that. Oh, did he? Nice. Yeah. Can we I use we that? It's <laughs> yet another piece of merchandise for next year. You asked him about the, his show Woke, which was the last show that he brought to Greenbelt. And uh, he said it's like it's like being challenged, but with a hug, like being challenged, but with an arm around the shoulder. And for me, I, I, that resonated with me a little bit with what we're trying to do with Greenbelt. I think we're trying to push, prod, sort of challenge, provoke, but in an atmosphere that is safe and supportive and inclusive it reminded me of his work because i think the hug comes from him going i haven't got this right so if you haven't got this right it's cool we're in this together let's try and make it better i think that's to me that's where that hug comes rather than having someone on stage going this is how how you should be a brilliant person and you know i'm a brilliant person so why aren't you a brilliant person which might leave people to feel a they would just shut off then they would feel attacked and they would shut off and they would leave and no change would be made that hug is from going yeah i messed up i, I haven't haven't got this right yet we talked to testament as well towards the end of the conversation about black lives matter and he seemed really tired um worn down 
very burdened by that as if it had been a long year, a long summer around as watching those issues unfold again on our screens. Yeah, he said something that really struck me, which is that I'm sick of watching murders on little screens. And it's one of those sentences that makes me just stop in my tracks because we all saw those videos. They were in all the different news websites. I mean, it was hard not to see a video or a still life image of a black person on the floor with a knee in their neck watching the last moments of their life and that it was so normalised. And on the flip side of that, I was reminded that in quite a few of these conversations we've had making the podcast, people, especially when we've been talking to people in the States, they've said that, yes, that was yet another small screen, real life snuff movie played out before our eyes. But because of the pandemic, people didn't have their work lives and their everyday normal lives to return to immediately. So it didn't pass as instantly as perhaps a lot of media images do. And it somehow went a little bit deeper. It sunk a little bit deeper into people's consciousness because people had the time to pay attention. So that was Testament, um, another great podcast conversation. And next week, we've got Dream Nails lined up. Oh, I'm excited about that one. Yeah, so Dream Nails were a band that you booked to come to the festival, Catherine. Um, Tell us a little bit about Dream Nails, just set up the conversation for next week. They're for women. They're a female queer punk band. They describe themselves as punk witches. They've been to Greenbelt twice now. Their music is absolutely incredible. It's really in the spirit of punk, creating a movement, creating a community around it. And I was really nervous going into this. I was really excited that Catherine had booked them for the podcast. I thought, yeah, brilliant. But I, as the time got closer to do the conversation with them, I was getting really nervous that I was a bloke and I wouldn't know my way around. I'd say the wrong thing. I put my foot in it. But they were so, so lovely and inspirational and warm. It was, it was just fascinating and really funny too. It really, really funny. Yeah. So that's coming up next week. And also... Take a look out uh, on our website at our Made in Palestine Christmas content because that's coming up pretty soon. Everything from live cook-alongs to The Rising with Martin Joseph and Rasha Nahaz. And then the final podcast in this second series is going to be with the amazing Palestinian poet Rafif Siada. So keep your eyes peeled for all that content coming your way soon. And don't forget that uh, throughout the pandemic, we've got other resources online that you can tap into if you're feeling like you want a bit more green belt. Um, you can go onto our youtube channel and watch some of our talks that we've had recorded and our entire talks catalog is free and online for anybody to explore which has some brilliant talks that we've had um, from people over the years haven't doesn't it it does i think there's about two thousand talks up there so you know take your pick it'll take <laughs> you a while to get through all that <laughs> And of course, you can be in touch with us. You can email us on stbi at greenbelt.org.uk and uh, follow us uh, on social media. We are at Greenbelt on Twitter and at Greenbelt Festival on Instagram and Facebook. Thank you to Daisy Ware Jarrett in the office for producing us and Paul Truman for helping us frame the episode. And to Josh and Jake on our volunteer recorded talks team who do all the polishing and make us sound half decent before we release this. They're wonderful. We heard that someone else uh, was listening to the podcast doing the ironing. So, you know, that seems to be a a little bit of a thing that's emerging. There's a lot of ironers out there. I don't even have an iron. What? No. Wow. You don't, listen, you don't need to iron stuff. When you put it on your body, it just goes straight. Really? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Wow. That's certainly the principle my boys work on.